you have a Bible, go in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verse 28 tonight. Romanos capítulo 8, el verso 28 esta noche. Y le damos la bienvenida a todos esta noche a la casa del Señor. Are you ready to study the word of God tonight? Amen. Amen. We've been talking about all things. We've kind of uh, meandered onto a series here uh, called All Things. We began by speaking about the fact that the Apostle Paul uh, said to the Corinthians this great truth, all things belong to you. And uh, if uh, you have been listening with your spirit, I, I, need, I, I hope and I know that you are uh, excited about what that means, that all things belong to you. We've talked about the source of all things, and we've talked about uh, the, uh, the great way that all things come into our life. Tonight I want to speak about one of those Many, many verses that I shared with you right at the beginning concerning all things. And it's right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Hemos estado hablando de todo es vuestro. Y hemos uh, estado escudriñando esta verdad uh, que dice la palabra del Señor, todo es vuestro. Y espero que esta verdad haya encendido en su corazón un nivel de fe más alto y más grande. I hope that uh, this truth has excited in your heart a greater level of faith. And if you haven't gotten it yet, what I want you to do is ask the Lord to give you a revelation of his abundance. Lo que les he invitado a hacer es que le pidan al Señor una revelación de su abundancia. Que Él les revele la abundancia de su provisión. I want you to ask God to reveal his abundance to you because it's not until you and I have a spiritual insight into the abundance of God's provision in the person and work of Christ that we really begin to ask and believe for big things in our life. So long as we think that God is limited, that God is small, that God is not able, that God is powerless, then we live and we act and we do according to that. But when we get an understanding of the fact that all things belong to us and that all things have been provided in Christ, for the believer, that our life and our conduct, our prayers, are all different as a result. So here we have Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and Paul says, And we know that God causes, what? All things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I just read one of the most quoted verses in all of the church. He citado uno de los textos más reconocidos entre el pueblo del Señor. Uh, so tonight we're not going to quote the verse, we're going to study the verse. Is that all right? Esta noche no vamos solamente a citar el texto, vamos a escudriñar el texto. So pull out your shovel tonight, we're going to study the Bible and dig a little deeper as we go into the Word. Father, we thank you tonight for the presence of the Holy Spirit which you promised to us when we gather in your name. We ask tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God, to teach the truth uh, contained in this passage of scripture. And I ask you to also anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might receive the word of God by faith and put it to work in their life. I ask you to do this, Father, because there is a desperate world around us that needs a church that knows her inheritance in Christ. I ask you to reveal to every single person in here and every person listening 
and every person who's a part of the uh, ministry of the word in this church and under the ministry of the word that goes beyond this church, that there would be an opening up of their spiritual eyes and their spiritual understanding that they might see what you have provided for them in Christ. I ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, it says, Call upon me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. And verse 6, God says there, And I will give you an abundance of health and of healing, and I will reveal to you the abundance of peace. Dice Jeremías 33, 3, clama a mí, y yo te responderé. Y te enseñaré cosas grandes y difíciles que tú no conoces. Y el verso 6 dice el Señor, y te mostraré, te daré abundancia de salud y de sanidad, y te revelaré mi abundancia. And so that's what we are doing tonight as we say, God, give me a revelation of your abundance. We're asking God to do what he already promised to do. And we're receiving what God has already promised. He said, I'm going to give you an, a, a revelation of my abundance. Te voy a dar una revelación de mi abundancia. I shared with you a few weeks ago, but I want to repeat this. Uh, what is a revelation? A revelation is not you getting something new. But rather, it's something in the word. It's a truth from the word becoming real in your life. Una revelación no es a aprender o... Uh, recibir algo nuevo que no está en la palabra del Señor sino que es que algo que ya está revelado que ya está una verdad ya uh, uh, escrita en la palabra del Señor se hace realidad en nuestra vida y cuando esa verdad se hace realidad en nuestra vida en nuestro espíritu comenzamos a tener o tenemos una revelación when a biblical truth becomes real to you Then you can say, I have a revelation. Uh, my eyes were open to something. Se me abrieron los ojos a algo que yo no entendía antes. Salvation came to you by revelation. You heard the word of God. Your spiritual eyes were open. And the truth of God's forgiveness became real to you. And you received the revelation of the blood of Jesus. And the revelation of your forgiveness of sins. And the revelation of a new birth. And what I am asking God to do in, in you in this season, is to reveal his abundance to you. And you say, Pastor, why do I need to have a revelation of the abundance of God? Uh, is it so that I can have more stuff? Say no. How many of you really need more stuff? Does anybody in here really need more stuff? Half of you said no. The other half said yes, I want more stuff. <laughs> I want more stuff and I want better stuff. All right, really, it's not about getting more stuff. The reason that you and I need a revelation of God's abundance is because there's a gospel to preach. There is a world to reach with the light of the truth of God's word. There are hungry people in Beeville to feed. There are souls to be won. There is a, a great need for the church to be on the front lines preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be sending missionaries to the nations. We need to be planting churches. We need to be expanding the reach of the church in this generation every day by every means available. Nobody's saying amen, but I'm going to keep saying it. That's why you need a revelation of God's abundance. Because if you feel like the resources are limited, then 
your prayers are small and your, your uh, desire to reach is small. But when you realize, I can, I can, by the power of God, reach and uh, have all the resources that I need, not only to get my needs met, but also to send this gospel message to, uh, to advance the cause of Christ in my generation to the next level. Then you start to think on a whole other level. You start thinking on the level of a sower, not just an eater. And the difference is that an eater, the Bible says God will give bread to the eater, but he'll give seed to the sower. The eater will eat for today, but if you plant a loaf of bread, it's not going to give you any fruit. Uh, you you uh, can eat, and God says if you want to live on the level of just an eater, then I'll provide for you on that level. But if you want to go to the level of sower, that's a whole other level. That's a level of abundance. That's a place where now you see your life not as a place for the receiving of, of things, but a place for the giving of things. You see your life not as a place for investment, but you become an investor in the kingdom of God. Instead of your life being the stopping point for God's blessing, your life becomes the Flowing point, the channel for God's blessing to reach somebody else. Somebody should be saying amen tonight. Because uh, you don't want to just be receiving miracles. You want to be a miracle. Say amen, somebody. You want to be a blessing to somebody else. Now, I, I want you to think about this. What's the difference? And there's a great difference between praying every month, Lord, help me pay my bills, and saying, Lord, help me pay somebody else's bill. Let me be a blessing to somebody else. How many of you want to live on that level? Then you need a revelation of God's abundance. You need a revelation of God's fullness, which has been provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of John says this, the Lord Jesus speaking. He says in John chapter 5, verse 17, I haven't gotten to our text yet, so don't worry. You're not lost. Uh, I'm just catching everybody up, all right? I'm making sure that those of you who haven't been here know where we're at. Here's what I want you to think about. John 5, 17, it says, Jesus said, all that the Father has is mine. Now think about that. What a profound statement, a massive statement Jesus makes there. Everything the Father has is mine, and the Holy Spirit will disclose what is mine to you. Jesus is saying, everything that my Father owns belongs to me. And everything that belongs to me is going to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be disclosed to you. So the Holy Spirit has been sent to reveal to you what has been made available to you through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, church, he paid for every single thing you'll ever need to do the will of God in your generation and to fulfill the purpose of God in your generation. Somebody say amen. amen. Say this tonight. Lord, give me a revelation of your abundance. Now tonight I want to deal with one of these passages that, that, that talks about all things. Because we've talked about all things are yours. And we're not just talking about uh, physical uh, things. We're not just talking about financial things. We're talking about uh, things that you can't put a price on. Things you can't touch. Like justification. Righteousness, peace, joy. How many of you need some of those things? Forgiveness, um, hope, love. All of those things are also available to you. They're also yours. Say amen, somebody. 
But then Paul makes this statement here, and he says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So tonight, I want to talk about all things for good and for glory. Say that with me. All things for good and for glory. I shared with you Sunday that you and I can live in such a way that everything we do will bring glory to God. And that means we're giving weight to God. Uh, les compartí el domingo que usted y yo podemos vivir, debemos vivir de tal manera que todo lo que hagamos le traiga gloria a Dios y que nuestra vida, nuestro, nuestra vida uh, en todas áreas puede glorificar a Dios. Our life in every aspect has been called by God to glorify God. The Bible said that everything that, uh, whatever you do, I should say, whatever you do, do it unto the glory of God. Do it as unto the Lord. Lo que se le venga la mano a hacer, dice la Escritura, hazlo a la gloria de Dios. And so everything in our life has to point, it ought to be our goal, as the prophet Isaiah said, your name and your fame is the desire of my heart. And tonight that ought to be our goal, that everything be for the glory of God. But tonight I want to talk about all things for good and for glory. Because God doesn't just want to get glory out of your life. He wants to do good in your life. Say amen, somebody. Do you believe God wants to do good things in your life? And what I first want to do is, first of all, explain what the text does not say. All right? The text does not say that God causes all things. Primero vemos, vemos esta verdad. Que el texto no dice... Que Dios causa todas las cosas. That means if you had a car accident or if something bad happened in your life or there was an abuse in your past or uh, you sinned or someone sinned against you, that doesn't mean that God caused those things. God does not, uh, the Bible says God does not sin nor does he tempt anyone to sin. So no one will ever be able to say, I sinned, and I did it because God caused me to sin. That would be a lie. And bad things happen in our life. And sometimes they're more bitter than others, and sometimes it's, a, it's just a flat tire. Sometimes it's life-altering, like the death of a loved one. And God does not cause those things to happen in our life. And sometimes people struggle with that, and we think, well, why did God do this to me? Well, the reason that bad things happen in the world is not because God did them, but because the world rejected God. And so evil in our world and, and calamity in our world, when uh, you see the world broken and fallen as it is, it's not the result of God being in the world doing bad things. It's the result of God uh, being a man saying, we don't want God in our world. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they sinned against God, they said, God, we want it our way. And the Bible tells us that when they got it their way, sin came into the world. And death through sin. So every cancer, every disease, every sickness, all lack, poverty, everything that plagues the human heart, uh, brokenness and the emotions, all of that is caused by man's rejection of God at the beginning. And that 
uh, rejection of God at the beginning is still bearing fruit unto this day. So God does not cause evil. And God does not cause uh, that brokenness to come into your life. And I don't want you to leave here thinking God makes bad things happen. I want you to leave here understanding the text for what it says. The text says this, that God causes all things to work. So what the scripture is saying here is that although God does not make everything happen in your life, in particular the bad things that happen in your life, that God works those bad things into the story, into the picture, in such a way that it becomes a good thing in your life. This is what uh, we would call redemption, that God buys back a broken thing and he makes it whole, he makes it new, he buys back a slave and gives it his freedom. And how many of you tonight would look at your life and realize that God redeemed some things in your life? I'm talking about stuff that we know we blew it. No one to blame but me. How many of you know there's some stuff like that in your life? No one to blame but me. I can't blame mama. I can't blame daddy. I can't blame the school system. I can't blame the bank. I can't blame the church. I can't blame the pastor. It's nobody to blame but me. And yet God can take that stuff from your past. And, and if you will love him and if you will honor his call, he will take even those broken places of your life and redeem them and make them a Part of the story that now becomes a good story because God is involved. And that is the glory of the gospel that you and I preach and have believed. That's the glory of the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news, church. Because Jesus can come into a life and take a, take a, a, a past that is dark and broken and heal it and mend it and then use that person's past to go and heal and mend somebody else. To go and heal and deliver somebody else. And if that's your story, shout amen tonight. So God causes all things to work together. The, the Greek word there for work is the word synergo, which uh, becomes our English word synergy. And it's basically a word that means that things, they come together, they work together. They, they complement one another. And that is what God does in your life if you will give him your life. He'll work things together. And those, those dark strands, those dark threads of your life become part of the beauty of the tapestry. They become part of the story that God is now going to tell through your life. And and when you start to notice that, the, the outcome of that is for you to give glory to God. When you look at your life and you say, that could have killed me. I should have died in that alley. I should have died in that, in that season of my life. I should, have, I should have never made it out of there. But look at, look at where God has brought me through. And when you look at that and you say, this was God's doing I've got to give glory to God. I've got to give honor to God because he's the one that redeemed that brokenness out of my life. Say amen, somebody. And so this, this truth is, uh, is often quoted in the, in the body of Christ in the church. And that's why I wanted to address it tonight because it is absolutely true. 
It is a promise of God that he will work all things. Not just some things, but all things. Now, the next thing I want you to understand is that this doesn't happen between Sundays, okay? This doesn't happen on Monday and then it's worked out by Friday. Sometimes God takes a long road. And that long road often is, is part of his receiving glory from our life. It's part of him teaching us to trust him, to wait on him, to look to him, to stop depending on ourselves. But you can, just, you can just step back by faith tonight and know God's got this. He's going to work this out. So the job you lost seemed like it was the end of your financial life, but then God brought a better job in. The, the, the provision you thought you couldn't live without, God took it out of your life, and then you started to see that there was provision in unexpected places. And you see God working things in, and the outcome is glory for him and goodness for you. It's the, the perfecting of your soul by faith. It's the, the working out of those, those, uh, those things in us that are not pleasing to God, and it also is producing a weight of glory in our life. It's producing a praise and a thanksgiving to God. And most of us uh, would not really have much uh, enthusiasm about thanking God unless we had been through some of those valleys. Because we often don't know how good we've got it till we don't got it. And then, you know, we, we never think about AC till it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden we realize how important air conditioning is. And sometimes because we went through those valleys, our praise got deeper. Our thanksgiving got deeper. Our dependence on God got deeper. And because we realized God worked that out and it's for his glory and for my good. I want to deal with tonight more in detail is this, that this verse is not for everybody. You draw so you drop it right there. All right, this verse is not for everybody. This verse is for a particular group of people. Now, whenever you look for a promise in the Bible, you should also look for who is this promise to? All right, who is this promise for? If this promise is for you, or is it for somebody else, or is there a particular way that this promise can come to pass in my life. And this is the part most people don't quote. So most people will quote the first part of the verse, God will cause all things to work together for good. But if you stop there, you miss the rest of the passage, and the rest of the truth is just as important. He says he will cause all things to work together for good to those who love God. So listen, the only people who can believe and trust that things are going to work out for their good are those who love God. So the wicked, the unrighteous, the rebellious, those who have hardened their neck against God, they shouldn't, they shouldn't think it's going to work out. It's not going to work out. In fact, it's going to work in a completely, completely opposite direction. Because the end of rebellion and rejection of God is, is judgment. And uh, this passage then is, is ascribed to those who love 
God. How many of you love God tonight? If you love God, you can quote this passage. If you don't love God, you can't quote this passage. Well, I mean, I, you can't claim this passage. Because all things work out to the good or for the good of those who love God. I want us to talk about that for a minute because I want us to understand what does it mean to love God. We say we love God. How many of you love God? Well, let's talk about what loving God is and what it isn't. First of all, what it isn't. It, first of all, loving God is not based on need. We don't love God as though God needs us or as though uh, we are uh, doing something for him that he can't do for himself. To love God is not based on need. Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Now, one of the ways that human beings express love to one another is by, by uh, meeting one another's needs. And if it's a completely need-based love, uh, often that, that can be very taxing, very exhausting to somebody if, if you're just pouring out meeting somebody else's needs. I want you to understand this. Loving God uh, doesn't mean or doesn't, doesn't mean that you serve him because God needs you. God doesn't need us in the sense that if we stop doing what God asked us to do, that the kingdom of heaven would shut down. Listen, uh, anybody that ever thinks God can't do this without me, God will have them replaced by the end of the day with somebody better. It's just that quick. God is not short on resources. Jesus said, when the, when the people, when the Pharisees told him, tell the people to stop praising you, to be quiet. He said, if they don't do it, the rocks will cry out. So God's not even short on worshipers. He's not, he's not calling us into a relationship with him because he needs us, rather because he is, he is decided by his grace to give us an opportunity to share his, his uh to share relationship and communion with us. And so we serve God, not because God needs us. And we love God, not because God needs our love. Because God doesn't need anything. He was God forever, eternity, forever, before he ever made Adam. So he didn't make Adam because he was lonely or because he was broken or because something was missing. He made Adam because he wanted to show Adam his glory. He wanted, to, he wanted to give to man an opportunity to, to enjoy God. And, and that is a, a reality that uh, the modern American church struggles with. Uh, we want to think that God needs us. And it is a good thing to serve God. But you have to understand when you serve God, it's not out of need. It's out of the fact that you and I have been invited to share in what God is doing in our generation. And what an exciting thing, what an exciting privilege it is to think that God has invited us to share in what he is doing in our generation. Number two, we don't, to love God is not based on benefits. We don't love God because of the benefits. Now, uh, we will not deny, and I will not deny that there are benefits to loving God. How many of you know there are benefits to loving God? And God wants you to know what those benefits are. 
And he wants you to keep them in mind because in, in the Psalms he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. All right, so God's not against you having his benefits. He wants you to have his benefits. And he's not against you uh, knowing what those benefits are. He wants you to remember them. He says, remember or forget not uh, his benefits. What are these benefits? He pardons our iniquities. How many of you have received forgiveness? What a benefit. I mean, you're not, you're not really thinking about how deep that is. When God forgives sin, there are, there are no benefits bigger than that. Now, this is the quietest church I ever preached in. If you got a, a, a letter from the IRS tomorrow that said that you don't have to pay taxes again, you've been forgiven your taxes, your income taxes for the rest of your life, you'd be in here shouting and screaming. But I just told you that God forgives sin. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to a bunch of saints tonight. What sin? This is an incredible benefit. He pardons our iniquity. And then it says that he heals our diseases. Does that sound like a benefit? God is a healer. Say amen, somebody. If you've ever been healed in uh, if you've ever been healed by God, shout amen. He heals our diseases. What an incredible benefit. And then it says he, he redeems our life from the pit. He rescues us out of the pit, and he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. Has God put a crown on your head? Has God put glory on your life? Come on, somebody. I mean, he brought you out of the pit. Think about the, the contrast in that. He brings you out of the pit, and he puts you in a high place, a position of favor. He puts a crown upon your head. He satisfies your years with good things. How many of you have seen God satisfy, fill? Your years with good things. And then it says that uh, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You get, you get stronger in your, in your life every day. Say amen, somebody. Does that sound like a benefit? The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. God, God stands up in court and defends you. And when somebody steals from you, God sees to it that that justice is done on your behalf. Say amen, somebody. These are all benefits. But none of these are, the re are what it means to love God. We don't love God because of the benefits. To love God goes beyond just benefits. See, because if we only love God for the benefits, then when there are no obvious benefits, the, the love runs out. This is why a lot of relationships fail, because they're based on benefits. And then when the benefit's gone, the love is gone. Our love for God is not based on, on the benefits. Our love for God goes beyond that. And where, where then does it, what is it then to love God? To love God is love that is face over hand. To love God is to desire his face more than his hand. To desire him. To love him. 
not his stuff. It's like if a girl falls in love with a guy because he has a, a awesome car. And then he wrecks the car. The, the benefit's gone. The fast car is gone. Love for God cannot be about benefits. It goes beyond that to the person and to the, to the, to the essence of the being. And, and when, when we get caught up in just seeing God's hands, we're missing the, the greatness of relationship with God. Because to love God goes to a desire to see the face of God, to desire God himself, to desire the, the giver above the gift, to desire the blesser above the blessing. Amar a Dios significa que deseamos al, al dador más que el don y deseamos al bendecidor más que la bendición. And this is important because, listen, there are going to be days when you go through life where there seems to be hardship or lack or drought. And you can love God in those seasons. Come on, somebody. You can't just love God in the good times. You can't just love God when he's blessing or when you need him. You know, we... we can be that way if we're not careful. We see it often in churches where people get into a pinch and they're in the house of God and they're worshiping God and they're crying and at the altar and as soon as they get out of trouble, the love dries up. But there is a place that you and I can live in our relationship with God where we cultivate a love for God that is about his face, about him, about his presence. When I have money in my pocket, when I don't have money in my pocket, I'm going to serve the Lord. When everybody likes me, when nobody likes me, I'm going to love the Lord. It does not depend upon whether or not things are going a particular way in my life. To love God means we treasure him. We not only desire him, but we treasure him. How many of you... Know what I mean by treasuring. To take good care of someone. To take good care of something. Now, if you have a, a family heirloom, something left to you by your mother or your great-grandmother, something special in your life, you treasure it. You, don't just, you just don't leave it out in the middle of, of, of the wind and the, and the rain. You don't take, uh, you don't take your great-grandfather's Bible and just leave it on the porch, right? There's a... a, a a value that you ascribe to something like that. And when you and I understand that to love God is to treasure him, that means we, we put him in a place above everything else in our life. We, we put him in a place of uniqueness. We realize this, is, this relationship with God is not like anything else in this world. It's not like any other relationship in this world. Where are the amens tonight? To treasure God means you say this shelf is for God only. I'm not going to put anything else up there. 
I'm not going to put my education up there. I'm not going to put my, uh, my favorite sport up there. I'm not going to put my anything else in this category. This is God alone. To love God means we de- desire him, we treasure him, we delight in him. We delight in God. We delight in his presence. And we delight in him to the extent that even if he's not doing a miracle in our life, we just want to be in his presence. And this, this uh, is something the Bible ascribes a promise to. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Put God first. Love God above everything. Love God above things. Love God above the miracle you need. And the the desires of your heart will be fulfilled in his presence. To love God is to be satisfied in God. To love God is to cherish him. To have a sense of God's specialness in your life. And when you and I love God... Now we can say, all things are going to work out. Everything's going to work out. He's going to take my broken places. He's going to take my lack. He's going to take my sufferings. He's going to work them in to his story for my life. He's going to work it out for my life. And what I want to do tonight is challenge you real quick to do this. I want to challenge you to take the risk of loving God above everything else. I mean, loving God above everything else. Jesus said this. He said, if you don't love your, if you don't uh, hate your father and your mother and houses and lands, you can't come after me. Well, what do you mean? I thought I was supposed to honor my father and my mother. I thought I was supposed to love my neighbor. What do you mean I have to hate them? What Jesus is saying there, he's using an, a, an exaggerated statement to make the point that your love for him should be so much greater than your love for anything else. It has to exceed all other things. And I want to challenge you to take that risk. And you say, Pastor, why do you call it a risk? Because the flesh perceives it as a risk. See, the flesh thinks if I, don't, if I give it all to God, I'm going to miss out. I'm not going to get everything I need. I got to go. I got to get my own stuff. I got to do my own thing. I can promise you this from experience. You will not lose by putting God first in your life. You cannot lose by putting God first in your life. There might be some nights when the young man stays at home to spend time with God on a Friday night instead of going to the movies. And it might feel like a loss for the moment. But trust me, young man. Sooner or later, you're going to discover that it was worth more to love God. And I want to challenge you with that because whether it's in your finances or whether it's in your relationships or whether it's in, your, in the way you spend your time or the jobs you take, when you make up in your mind, I'm going to love God first. I'm going to do it God's way first. It's, it feels like a risk in the flesh. But you're actually on the most secure ground you could possibly be walking on. 
Everything else is quicksand. Listen, everything else is quicksand. That's why we're told, even from the Old Testament, and again, Jesus quotes it, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. A, a whole, complete, total love for God. Now, just think about that because the, the title of this series is All Things. And this is what God is saying to us. He says, you want all things? Give me all. Listen, guys, it's not even a fair trade. We've got five cents. He's got everything. All right, I'll give you four. Now give me everything, and you'll have everything. He gets the short end of the bargain, and we get the whole totality of what has been made available to us in Christ. Say amen, somebody. Now, the next thing I want you to notice here is that he works all things for good. Now, there are three examples I want to mention here of how God took people's hardships, people who loved him and who put him first, and he worked them out. The first example is Joseph. You remember Joseph? Joseph was sold by his brothers. And then he was, he was uh, accused of by Potiphar's wife. And then he was thrown in prison and he was forgotten. All of these things happened to Joseph. And Joseph could have said, why me? Why this? He went from being his father's favorite son to being at the bottom of life's problems at the very bottom, at the pit. And yet, listen to what he says in Genesis 45, verse 7. He said, God sent me before you to preserve, uh, to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Notice there that God, that Joseph uses the word sent. Joseph understood all of those steps that he took. Down, 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 down. Things were just never going to go up for him. All of a sudden, He's lifted up out of the pit, out of the prison. And one day, he goes from the pit to the palace. And he's sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh. And what does he say? He said, God sent me ahead of you. What looked like it was the worst life anyone could live turned out to be God working things out for good. And not just for the good of Joseph. Get this, please. It wasn't just for Joseph's good. It was for the family of Joseph. A famine comes into the land, and that famine would have wiped out Jacob and his 70 or more uh, of his tribe. And with them, they would have, been, would have been snuffed out the messianic bloodline. Just like that. The, the, the bloodline of Jesus would have been snuffed out in that famine. But God sent Joseph basically through hell. So that when there was hunger in the land, he would have already provided food. That's how God worked things out. And 
Joseph is able to then have the long perspective. And in Psalm 105, verse 16 and 17, we read it again. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. They, they meant it. They're the ones who did it. Just think about how powerful God is, that God can take someone else's plan, someone else's meaning, I'm going to do evil to Joseph, and God says, I'm going to stamp on top of that, meant for good. God can cancel out the enemy's strategy against your life. Say amen, somebody. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive, and they are today. Now, think about this. What God did in Joseph did not just save the 70 members, more or less, of Jacob's tribe, but it also saved Egypt. Who's God trying to save through your life? You don't see it right now. You can't see it because you're in the moment and you don't have the whole script. All you know is that the scene I'm in right now, I'm in trouble. Or I'm not getting what I have been praying for. Or I seem to have been waiting a long time. But can I just tell you, just, just keep reading the script. Because it's not just about you. Tell your neighbor it's not about you. Oh, I hate that, don't you? Just, I want it to be about me. Every once in a while, Lord, could it just be about me? It's not, tell your neighbor again, it's not about you. you got to think about that. Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in us. That's why we have pity parties. Because it's all about me. It's not all about me. God is up to something bigger than me. And Joseph was able to have the perspective that if I had to go through all that I went through just so I could blaze a trail so that, so that my family could come in and eat the bread off of my experience, then praise and glory be to God. Come on, somebody. God is, God is doing things in, listen, God is doing things in your life tonight for the generations to come. God is doing something in your night, in your life tonight that's going to impact people in your family and in this city when you are gone. You've got to get that perspective tonight. That's what we're talking about when we talk about all things. And Joseph was able to have that perspective. Think about Job. What did Job go through? Job lost everything. Somebody jokingly told me this week that Job, or just think about the cruelty of this, Job lost everything except for his grumpy wife. That's why he says, pobrecito, right? Pobrecito. I mean, she was so helpful. She said, curse God and die. You would think, Lord, if you're going to take everything, leave me an encourager. <laughs> right? 
somebody to support me. James chapter 5, verse 11, it says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Look at what James says there. He says, look at Job and look at the purpose of God. It requires a revelation to see that. Because some of you need a revelation of God's abundance just so you can see that what you're going through right now is not for nothing. That Job was the recipient.